I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey guys, Anna Kasparian here from the Young Turks. If you care about what's going on in the country these days, I'd highly recommend checking out the Young Turks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to me on my weekly show, No Filter, where I break down important news for the week and give you my unfiltered point of view. Subscribe to these shows wherever you get your podcasts or check out more at tyt.com. I'm Anna Kasparian from TYT, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. This week, we bring you a very special episode live from the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. My guest on stage with me is Anna Kasparian, host of the Young Turks. And we had a really great time. I think you're gonna like this one. It was also our first time introducing DJ Allura to the show. Shout out Allura. Um, she added, I think, a really uh, fun element that hopefully you're gonna see more of. Also shout out to Lipstick and Vinyl Network, our podcast network and uh, great friends of the show who helped us make the night possible um check out lipstick and vinyl and some of their other shows uh in fact laura cathcart robbins who was a guest on rebel radio just recently just introduced her show the only one in the room part of the lipstick and vinyl network so make sure you check that out and also shout out to beat fever we were live streaming the uh the interview on the beat fever mobile app check out beat fever in the app store i think you'll enjoy that too and uh Follow us for more coming from the Ace Hotel. If you're in LA, I hope you'll join us at one of these shows coming up. You can get us at Rebel Radio Net on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. Let's get into it with Anna Kasparian, live from the Ace, right after the EDM.com track of the week.
was miles away and marcus james with together alone the edm.com track of the week if you like that one get over to edm.com check out more new music and let's get into it with anna kasparian live at the ace hotel all right yeah (laughs) who's here because you're staying at the ace and you can't find your room Uh, before we get started, give it up for DJ Allura. For entertaining us before we get started, we're going to um, experiment a little bit with having her be part of our show, which is the first time we've ever done that. DJ Allura is also uh, DJs for the Lakers. If you get to a Laker game, you may see her there. Are you going to be playing jock jams during our interview? Yes. Awesome. Please do. <laughs> Not today. Me and my husband are obsessed with jock jams. <laughs> it's a genre. It's awesome. Um, Allura, we, uh, yes. we like to ask all our guests, and some of you might have gotten an email from me asking, uh, what was the first record you ever bought for yourself? Are you talking to me? Because I'm I am not even sure if my mic is working, but no, luckily I have a very loud voice. Um, okay, so the one I'm going to admit to... No, actually, there's one I should admit to, but I'm not going to admit to that one. <laughs> That's the one we want to know. <laughs> so, no, well, the one that my mum bought for me because I asked her okay. was <coughs> a Backstreet Boys CD. Oh, okay? my God. <laughs> and then when I got a little bit older and I got my own money and I was like 13, then I bought um, Lucy Pearl's album. That was the first record I bought with my own money. Ah, that's a great record. Yes. You should have just gone with that one. <laughs> I like to be honest. Okay, a couple shout-outs. First of all, to the Ace Hotel for hosting us. Um, Shout-out to our friends at Lipstick and Vinyl for hosting the Open Bar. Our favorite, <laughs> our favorite podcast network. Um, uh, check out some of their other great shows. They have a, a lot of great shows on their roster. Um, shout out to the Curiosity Preservation Society, Simon, for co-promoting the show with us. Um, shout out to, uh, if, if you guys see cameras running around, we have our good friend Albert Chi and his crew are capturing this on video. Shout out to my producer, James. None of this would happen without him. And... Uh, and shout out to Beat Fever for uh, hosting the live stream. They're a crazy mobile game that millions of people are playing. And if you guys aren't playing it, then I don't know what you're doing on your phones. <laughs> we have uh, Rebel Radio t-shirts for the first time ever. If you want one, they're at the door. And lastly, I hope you'll join us on the roof um, after the show for uh, cocktails and conversation. And maybe you'll come hang out with us if you're not whisked off to something more important. <laughs> Okay, so... I might consider it, but my dog's waiting at home. Oh, yeah. Charlie's waiting. Dogs, <laughs> but dogs I might want to drink after, precedent. so who knows. What kind of dog? 
He is, so we gave him a DNA test because when we adopted oh, him, wow. we were told he was part Maltese or half Maltese and then the other half they didn't know. Turns out he's not Maltese at all. <laughs> um, he's mostly mini poodle, which we did not expect. Okay. And then terrier mix. So yeah. there's Chihuahua, Cocker Spaniel, and Pomeranian in there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, like people... People do like 23andMe and they learn that they have different parents than their daughters. Like the dog stuff is all made up. There's no way that we know what kind of dogs we have. So I actually thought the same thing. And then um, when you, you just do like a cotton swab and then you turn it in and yeah. then they mail back the results or email the results. And you don't tell them what your dog looks like, but they give you a very specific description of what your dog looks like. Is the right? markings, the coloring, the body shape. Like, it was kind of insane. Wow. Yeah, so I believe it. But I've never done a 23andMe or a DNA test on myself. Like, I'd rather do it for my dog. Yeah, sure. <laughs> of course. Um, okay, well, I'm going to introduce you, which I don't, I'm not sure you really need an introduction. But, um, so Anna is the host and producer of uh, The Young Turks. Which, if, if there's anyone who doesn't know, which I don't think there is, Young Turks is the number one online news channel and uh, also the host of your own show, No Filter. Yeah, thank you. Multiple Webby Award winner and Humanist Media Award, which I'm sure is very important. Um, I mean, the Humanist Award is just because I'm, I'm an atheist. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm not afraid to talk about it. But um, yeah, it was a nice award. I'm sure yeah. it is. And uh, I don't mean to make fun of the Humanist Award. No, right? no, no. I just, I, I just, you know, it was a nice award. But yeah. I mean, you made it sound like it was a bigger deal than it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Not that I'm, I'm looking down cool, at it. It's an awesome award. It's but a it's, cool name. There aren't many atheists out there who are willing to admit that they're atheists That's publicly. Right. Yeah. Um, you've been rated one of the top women on YouTube, which is quite an accomplishment. And according to your bio, you're a Drake fan. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, do you want to do, do a Drake song for us right now? No, I do okay. not. I do not. Um, I'm just checking. I like old Drake songs. Uh, the newer stuff is not really for me, probably. Like, I, I, there's this one song by Drake called All Me. Mm. It's in one of his first albums, and it's my favorite because... It's very like in your face, I proved you all wrong, what now? And I love that attitude. Sure. <laughs> so I like that song, I like that album. Um, but he, I don't know, I know I shouldn't judge him based on his own personal things, but right. there were personal things that made me judge him. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're in that era now. It's hard not to judge people based on who they are as, as humans. You know, as yeah. you see that in, in your political coverage every day. Well, we're all human. I mean, I'm not perfect, and I've done things that I'm embarrassed about, but I think... What's one of those? Um, <laughs> Brett, you can you... I'm sure you know of some of them. I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, I'm not No, I'd probably on election night, um, yeah. and I haven't really talked about this too much publicly. I've talked about it a lot with my husband, but, you know, election night was a very emotionally charged night for people who sure. believe in having a competent president. Um, so, Is there anybody here that would like to have a competent president? Yay, competence! Hey, that's cool. Yay for competence. So when it became clear that Trump was going to be uh, our next president, I, I was, of course, upset about that, but I was more upset about 
the number of women who voted for him. And so I said some pretty negative things about women who voted for him that night. Women are the worst. And it wasn't the right way to go about it. (laughs) No, women are great. Oh, that's what I meant. But I I was disappointed because I just think that it's weird to support a group of people who see you as a second-class citizen simply because you're a woman. And I I feel like Trump on multiple occasions had proven that he sees women as second-class citizens. So, you know, I called those women stupid. And I do regret that to some extent. That wasn't the right way to go about it. Yeah, for sure. Because... Look, it's, if, I, if I genuinely feel that or think that, that's one thing. But it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what my emotions are. What matters yeah. is what is the most persuasive way to get sure. the message across. And that was not a persuasive way. And I, I antagonized and demonized. And I, I wish I hadn't have done that. It's such a complicated world we live in, isn't it? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What's so complicated about it for you? Well, we were kind of talking about this earlier, right? I have the pleasure that I very rarely have to interact with people that I strongly disagree with. Like, I, get, I live in a pretty comfortably inside my bubble, and it's great there, right? And yet, and you get up on camera and debate these horrible people with terrible views, and, you, and your job is to is to be civil and to get into it with them as if they're sane human beings. So you don't have to treat them like they're sane human beings. I mean, okay. you, but so my style, and, and it rubs some people the wrong way, and I totally get it, but I'm very aggressive at times. And sometimes I forget that when I'm debating with other political figures or other pundits, like it's, it's fine to be aggressive. I think that it's, it comes with the territory. Yeah. But it's hard for me to turn it off when someone in my personal life might disagree with me, right? Mm. And so the, I try to avoid debate uh, in my personal life with family members, with friends, things like that. Do people, people just like want to debate you? Is that like... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because they think it's cute. You're they like think, the strong man and people want to arm wrestle you. All the time. And so I try to avoid allowing people to provoke me, but when I get provoked, I get provoked. And so I'll start debating, and I, again, debate pretty aggressively. And uh, on multiple occasions, especially when my husband's around. My husband's a very, like, friendly, calm, patient guy. He's very different from me. (laughs) So, and he balances me out well. probably a good thing. When he's, it's a very good thing. Uh, but when, you know, he's there and he witnesses it, he's yeah. always the one to pull me aside and be like, you need to relax. This is, you're not debating, you know, Bill Crystal or Ann Coulter. This is a family member. This is a friend. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's grandpa. Go exactly. easy on him. But, you know, when it does come to people that I debate aggressively and, and it's warranted, it's a great feeling because yeah. I'll give you a specific example When I was in high school, uh, we hadn't invaded Iraq yet. We were about to. And one of the people that was really pushing for that invasion and that preemptive war was Bill Kristol. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were in class, English class, and we were supposed to be reading uh, one of the books assigned to us out loud, like we were taking turns reading. And I wasn't paying attention because I was reading the New York Times. And I remember, I remember reading, I know it's ridiculous, but I remember reading this one paragraph in an article that mentioned Bill Kristol and mentioned his justifications for invading Iraq. 
And I got so angry. I'm like, I hate this guy. I want to tell him what's up. Like, mm-hmm. I want to find him and tell him what's, what's on my mind. And I'm like this little high school student. And I'm yeah. thinking I'll never get that opportunity. Well, I recently got the opportunity. And it was nice. So he was at Politicon on a panel. We did not debate the Iraq war, but we <laughs> did debate Medicare for all, nice. which is a policy I support. Yeah. And um, I let him have it. It was fun. I really liked it. So that's the upside. I mean, if it's something that I'm passionate about, I get the opportunity to confront some of the people that I think have been bad actors in, in foreign policy and domestic policy. And it's a great feeling to be able to tell them what I think. And, and provide justifications for why I think that way. I'm sure. Okay, I have a really important question for you. What is the first record you ever bought? Mine's way more embarrassing than yours. Uh, <laughs> oh, believe me, it is. Uh, Hanson, the Hanson Brothers. Oh! Had a huge crush on Zach, the youngest one. You might have won some kind of prize with that. Yeah. One. I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, what about you? Yeah, you're not so innocent. I don't know. It, it's not. You're not gonna like it. Uh, I don't really remember, but the first one I remember was a seven inch of Smokey Robinson. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that's why I say like it's not embarrassing at all. What is embarrassing is the fact that I didn't get the idea that. So I basically played that record over and over. Uh, Tell Me Tomorrow was a song. Was, and then I got tired of it, so I turned it into like a Frisbee. And I completely ruined the record. And so, and, uh, which is a really stupid thing to do. And, and as someone who now collects and loves records, it's like sacrilege. Um, but I didn't get that at seven or eight, whatever. So now I actually have all the records that I've bought since then. I have no records. Like, no. I have no physical records. Yeah, because why I, would you? I mean, that's not... People are into it. I, I just like uh, space. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. wife would love it if I didn't have <laughs> records in our living room, for sure. I'm really lucky because uh, when I met my husband, he had nothing. Um, nice. So <laughs> there was never a debate. But like physical, that like material things. He had <laughs> just you moved to everything. LA. So he had like, he didn't, we didn't have to have a debate about mugs, right? Like, which mugs do we have to keep? It was great. Do you have good coffee mugs? Yes. Okay. Beautiful floral coffee know, mugs. I don't know how we got on coffee mugs as a topic. When did you uh, decide that you were going to be a journalist? Well, so like many kids, when I was super, super young, I thought I wanted to be an actress. And okay. my parents thought it was cute, so they humored me for a little bit. And... I would go on auditions, and I had an agent. Oh, and wow. They were shocked to find that people were actually interested, which made my mom realize, oh, God, I got to get her off of this. She can't be. I'm not going to allow her to be an actress. Yeah. I, I have immigrant parents, sure. and their view of you know, this industry is not Accurate. a good view. Yeah. So when I was in middle school, um, I remember going on an audition for that 70s show, and I no got way. a call back for Jackie, for the Jackie role. And at that point, my mom pulled me aside and was like, okay, so this is over. You're not going to go to your call back. And I was devastated. And she's like, but you need to figure out what you're going to do for your career. I'm in middle school. <laughs> and, That's um, awesome. I-, I thought about it, and she's like, you know, you really love watching 
ABC's 2020 every Friday night, like a giant nerd. So she didn't add the nerd part. <laughs> and she's like, why don't you look into journalism? Wow. And I kid you not, I immediately said, yes, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to do what Barbara Walters does. Yeah. And after that, I just became pretty obsessive with, with making it happen. And I don't think my career ended up the way I envisioned it. I, right out of high school, I'm not high school, right out of college, um, I was one of the lucky ones. I got hired at CBS Radio, mm -hmm. and it was a very competitive time. Very few people that I graduated with uh, had jobs in media, and I was so miserable. I hated it. I hated every moment of it because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was, I was an associate producer, and all I really did was take, you know, remote shots, remote, mm -hmm. uh, remote reporting, and I kept a, an eye on what everyone else was doing, and the writers would rewrite wire articles for broadcast. The anchors would come in maybe 15 minutes before they went live, and then they would just read what other people wrote for them. And I'm like, this sucks. Like, if I stay yeah. here, that's the best that I can do with my career, and I didn't want that. Yeah. So I uh, decided to take a huge risk, and I started working for TYT. And, you know, the place was weird. Super weird. I mean, my very first day, this was my interview. Uh, Dave Kohler, uh, who's been with TYT from the very beginning, interviewed me over the phone, and he was like, yeah, uh, we need a temp for two <laughs> weeks. Our producer is going to go to Germany on vacation. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. And he's like, okay, but are you, are you willing to come in at three in the morning? Sure. <laughs> and he's like, okay, you got, you got the job. Uh, show up on Monday. That was it. That was it. That was my interview. Because no one was interested in working at TYT at that time. This is 2007. Sure. They're in a bunker somewhere. Uh, it's literally, I think at that point, five dudes. And there was one woman there. Her name mm -hmm. was Jill Pike. And they, their start time was 3 in the morning because they wanted to air you know, during the morning drive on the East Coast. We were right. on Sirius XM. Well, at that time, it was, I think it was just Sirius Radio at the time. Anyway, so my first day, I come in at like 2.30, Dave meets me outside, and I have to walk upstairs to where the studio was, and as I'm walking upstairs, there's like a giant, like, poo, like a homeless man had pooed in the stairwell, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Look, this is, this is where I ended up. This is, this is my <laughs> life. Wow. But Jank Uger, who's the founder of TYT, came in, rushed in, he's about to go live, he's about to be late, as always. Yeah. And he just rails on the Bush administration. And I had never seen anything like it. Everyone else in the media was just, there was like a lot of milk toast, right. go along with it, sure. be laid back, don't question. And it was the antithesis of what I believe journalism should be. And so when I saw Jenk doing his thing, I'm like, I want to be here. I don't care about the poo. I don't care about you know, the weird hours. I, I want to be here for the long term. And I insisted on being, the, being there for the long term, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Absolutely. So are we. Yeah. I read somewhere you said that you were surprised that you liked it at TYT. Yeah, I was, well, I was surprised at... It had, it, in the beginning, it had almost no upside, mm. other than the fact that it felt right, right? So... We were, like, moments away from going under. Sure. 
and we didn't know what to do. Like, we were on a radio station called Air America, which went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Air, Air America was like a political uh, station that focused on progressive politics, at the time, liberal politics. And so it goes bankrupt. We have no real source of revenue. And Jenk pulls me into the office. At the time, I'm still working at CBS because it just felt more stable. Yeah, so it sure. was kind of like, let me just do both things at the same time. And Jenk was like, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to quit CBS, we need you full time. And I'm like, Air America just went bankrupt, what do you mean? He's like, we're gonna figure it out. I'm like, but what if we don't figure it out? What am I supposed to do? And he's yeah. like, that's life in the big city. <laughs> and that was it, that's all he said to me. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah. So I stayed. And I was lucky because I really wasn't taking that much of a risk. I'm 20 years old. I'm still living with my parents. Like, right. my life doesn't depend on it. Kind of feels just, like it, though, doesn't it? It does because, I mean, the decisions you make early on in your career will affect the rest of your life. Yeah. So I didn't take the decision lightly, but I felt like I'd be so miserable walking away from TYT and just focusing on CBS radio or traditional media. Right. Traditional media is not for people like me. Traditional media is for people who are willing to take orders, I think. Um, I'm lucky in that I have editorial freedom and the fact that I'm a loud mouth is celebrated rather than looked down at mm -hmm. uh, by both our audience and also uh, the people I work with. So you teach... I think, right, Brett? <laughs> you teach journalism, yeah? Yes, I'm not at the moment, but yes. Okay. Um, so you're, you're shaping young minds. Um, is that, you know, would you advise your students to, to do it something crazy because it feels right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially fresh out of college. That's when you can take risks. That's when you should take risks. Um, try to consider conventional wisdom and then disregard it. Right, mm -hmm. so take things from conventional wisdom that actually do apply to the real world and actually do apply to you, but try to think outside the box and try to have an independent mindset when it comes to all aspects of life, especially your career. Yeah. Because I think there's this pressure to pay your dues and do, go through the process like everyone else has but sometimes you don't have to pay your dues. Sometimes you're like AOC and you're like, fuck that, right? Sometimes you're a 28 year old and you're like, I'm gonna run for Congress and I'm gonna kick ass and I'm gonna fight for my people. Yeah. And so I love that she did it that way. And Paul Ryan recently said, oh, she didn't take my advice. You know, I just I told her that maybe she should like uh, listen and observe. No, she got elected to fight. And I mm -hmm. love that she's fighting. So conventional wisdom sometimes does not apply. Absolutely. Um, so you just described yourself as a loudmouth. Totally, 100%. Were you, were you always that way? 100%. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, I feel things. <laughs> I say that during our uh, members-only post-game show a lot. Uh -huh. But it's true. Like, I feel things, and I want, I want to express it somehow. And I think that TYT gives me an opportunity to do that. And I don't get punished for doing it, right? It's, it's something that's encouraged. So where, where does that confidence come from? I made a lot of young people who are, you know, kind of what you're saying before. They're, they're sort of trying to fall in line and take orders and not, you know, they just don't have that confidence. It's, it's interesting when people 
identify it as confidence. I don't know if it's confidence. I just know it's kind of like if poison ivy hits your skin and you're really itchy, right? Like you got to scratch. And, and that's how I feel about my opinions. Like mm. I feel them and I, I got to share them with the world. And maybe people don't want to hear it, but that's okay. You can turn it off, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's confidence. It's more about, it's a little selfish actually. Because okay. it feels good to express myself. And one of the great upsides of doing that is it encourages other people to share sure. their perspective and, and to speak confidently about what they believe. And I, I think encouraging that kind of conversation is important. Yeah, so how, how do you think about, um, you know, I mean, it sounds like a lot of this is very personal for you. Um, how do you think about the TYT brand? And, and do you ever find, like, are there lines that you can't cross or that, that uh, you know, that you're going to get backlash from the audience? I do get backlash from the audience, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I recently got backlash from the audience. I mean, I don't know what percentage of our audience, but there were people who weren't happy with my analysis on Tulsi Gabbard. Uh -huh. But... My analysis, I stand by it. Uh, there were accusations that I wasn't fair to her, but she's a presidential candidate. I brought up her record. I brought up her interviews. I showed her interviews and responded to them and talked about uh, my analysis in, in reference to those interviews. Uh, and it's okay to disagree, uh, but I think that what does unfortunately get lost in the anger at times is the evidence. So. It's easy to say, oh, you're smearing my candidate, but it's much harder to provide evidence for how your candidate was allegedly smeared. So some, sometimes that kind of stuff happens, and that's okay. And there are moments where I might get an issue wrong, and mm -hmm. the audience will call me out, and I'm grateful for those moments because it makes me stronger, and it makes me better at what I do. Um, but overall, I just think that it's, it's a great way of expressing yourself encouraging others to feel confident in expressing themselves. And I love our male audience, but I gotta say, th my favorite thing about what I do is empowering other women to yeah. share their political views. Um, so, you know, you're, you're talking about it. It seems to be such a crazy time when, um, you know, every, uh, so you're trying to present you know, your perspective or, or an analysis of different candidates, and it seems like we're just like pro or against everything, right? That, and that, that uh, anything that doesn't, you know, so I guess an example in the last election, um, you know, people are mad that uh, the Bernie supporters didn't then line up behind Hillary, um, as just one example, right? That anything that's not completely pro is, you know, drives people crazy. Well, there's a shift in, in the way young people look at elections or, and politics in general. I think that for a long time, for several decades, voters would, for the most part, vote along party lines. Mm -hmm. And you would be expected to be loyal to your party regardless of how many times your party slaps you in the face when it comes to policy, when it comes to the way they vote. And I'm seeing younger people reject that, and I think that that's totally fine. And so telling people to fall in line 
after they feel that they've been wronged yeah. for completely justified reasons, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. I think that we're all rebels in this generation. I, I think that we look at conventional wisdom and we reject it. We either reject it or we question it and we think about other methods or other means of coming to a better conclusion or to a better result. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that we're way more educated than previous, uh, you know, we're more educated now than in previous elections where people would just vote along party lines sure. regardless of what the policies were. People are more engaged now. They're paying attention to votes. They're paying attention to you know, what Congress is up to. How many times do these Democratic candidates vote along with Trump, for instance? Right. You know, people who have careers in something completely non-political will write to me and be like, did you know that this member of Congress has voted with Trump 58% of the time? And I'm like, damn. Right. So we were aware, we know what's going on, and I think that's great. But is that only a symptom of the left? I mean, it seems like the right you know, stands by Trump no matter what. Yes, that's a, that, I think that's an accurate depiction of uh, Republican voters. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that, if you look at the, the polls, the vast majority, I'm, I'm talking about in, in the 90s, over 90% of Republicans approve of everything Donald Trump is doing. They give him a high approval rating. Mm -hmm. And I just don't get it. I don't get it because he carries out all of the things that they would criticize Obama for. So for instance, one of the biggest things was, oh, too much executive power. Obama's right. passing you know, too many executive or signing too many executive orders. And then what did Trump do? I mean, it's nonstop executive orders. Sure. So there's just a, there are many hypocrites in Congress, many hypocrites in the Republican Party. We just did a story today about Mitch McConnell and how he's angry about obstruction in Congress when it comes to Trump's nominees. Yeah. And it's like, hey, homeboy, you, you don't remember Merrick Garland? Like, that was not too long ago. I mean, that was one of the biggest cases of obstruction in American politics. When's the last time you think Mitch McConnell was called homeboy? <laughs> um, I don't think ever. So uh, when we were talking before the show, you described yourself as a pessimist. And I, you know, I don't see you that way. And so I'm, I'm curious to, to know why you think that. Because I think, you know, given everything you just described, you get up and you fight every morning. Um, which in my mind takes an incredible amount of optimism that you can actually make a difference. That you can break through the noise and the crazy news cycle and the insane political climate and, you know, do something. There are moments where I'm definitely the pessimistic one on our show. Mm -hmm. But if I, like, step back and look at everything in a, in a broader view, I guess, yeah, there's, there's a pretty significant level of optimism because I couldn't keep doing what I'm doing. If I don't believe that we can have a positive impact and help push the country in the right direction, then I wouldn't be doing this. Then it would yeah. be a giant way. Because it's, on some days, I'm not, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, it's hell. Like, on some days, I look at our rundown and I look at the topics and I'm like, I, I just wanna crawl in bed and I don't wanna have a conversation with anyone. Yeah, I, I wanna be around Charlie. I want to be in bed, and I want to probably smoke some weed and just pretend like none of this stuff exists. Yeah. But 
at the end of the day, what gets me out of bed and what encourages me to do my job is I do think that there are so many smart people out there who need a voice, who, who need the motivation and the encouragement, and I do think that there is gonna be positive change. And we're already seeing some of that. I mean, we saw it in the last um, election, the midterm elections, with a number of fantastic freshman uh, members of Congress. Mm -hmm. And we're also seeing it with the rejection of uh, corporate money in campaigns. Now, we need to get money out of politics with a constitutional amendment. But in the meantime, it is encouraging to see candidates say, I will not take corporate PAC money. And it's because we're pressuring them to take that position. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. I know you, you take a, a hard stance on uh, campaign funding. Um, so, and, and to me, that's an, that's an area where I think you're incredibly optimistic in that, you know, this idea that we can have sort of responsible capitalism, that we can have people that have endless amounts of money and yet choose to spend it in ways that don't just benefit them and their friends. Well, don't get it twisted. I mean, it, it's through political pressure, right? It's sure. through the pressure that we apply as voters. I, I don't, and look, are there good people out there who are wealthy and they would do things out of the kindness of their own hearts? Sure. Yeah. But there are also a ton of people who are influenced by money in all the wrong ways and it's up to us to ensure that our representatives represent us, not their corporate interests. Right. Um, when, when do you, when does it become too much? When do you question the mission? Uh, it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot. I'm sure. I feel bad because my husband has to uh, witness the bad days. And the bad days are bad. I, I don't take it out on him in any way, but I come home and I'm just like, I, I need to decompress. Yeah. You know? What do and you do? Smoke weed. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it'll, I'll get out of, I'll get it out of my system, but some days are really tough. Uh, I'll, I'll be super candid with you guys. Last week, I was pretty shocked at the response that, you know, the, the analysis that I did on Tulsi Gabbard and yeah. like the smears online were so intense and like, you gotta understand, it's a full day of covering and researching really depressing stuff. And then when you get like this insane wave, it feels like an insane wave of backlash, it becomes very overwhelming. You feel like you're doing everything for nothing and mm -hmm. that it's not getting through to people. And then sometimes you start internalizing the criticism. You start questioning whether or not what people are saying about you is true. Right. And so you wonder, I don't know, am I a worthless bitch? I, I might be. <laughs> and those days are tough. And so uh, last Monday, or two Mondays ago, uh, Christian wasn't home, and I was like, I need a good cry. And I just cried in my room, and yeah. I got it out of my system. But afterwards, I told myself, tomorrow's a new day, and I'm gonna try to kill it. And that's it, that you just gotta keep going. Is there something at, at TYT, I mean, I guess, I'm sure everyone goes through, you know, their version of that. Um, do you guys do something as a team to, to pull together and, and get through that stuff? <laughs> is, that, is that trade secret, I'm asking? I'm trying to, I, I don't know if there's anything we do as a team. I think that we have 
a great group of people who love and respect one another and more importantly have the same mission. Yeah. And so uh, Brett Ehrlich is our senior producer and he's amazing. He's here. What's up, Brett? <laughs> Dan Evans is uh, associate producer. He's also amazing. And my favorite moments at work are the moments where I'm like drowning and I'm buried in stuff that I need to read, but we'll just find ourselves in a super spontaneous conversation about whatever. Like we might be talking about something that's happening in the stock market and we'll go on about, I don't know, it doesn't even sound that interesting, right? But like, <laughs> it does not sound interesting. But like we just find ourselves in like some sort of fun conversation that has nothing to do with the rundown and I feel like I'm being really bad because I need to read, but yeah. I'm talking about something else instead. And we'll joke around. Brett's really funny. Um, sometimes he'll like suggest uh, jokes in my uh, open for a story, and that always makes me laugh. He'll put together great videos that lighten things up. We've started um, implementing a new method of making the show, setting the tone for the show, and whenever we can, we'll try to start off with a fun short story, something that'll make us laugh. And then it's like, all right, cool, we're having a good time. Now we gotta get to the depressing stuff, but at yeah. least we're having a good time, right? It'll lighten the mood a little bit. Um, but I love the people I work with. I'm so grateful. They're just all very smart, caring, compassionate, mm -hmm. and more importantly, hard workers. Like we don't get paid much, but we're all there. We're all voluntarily there because we believe in the message. We believe in the mission. Yeah. So speaking of depressing stuff, um, so I know you know fake news is a, is a big issue, and I've I saw some technology recently. I, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Did you know that windmills cause cancer? <laughs> I did not. I mean, the biggest um, the biggest source of fake news is the president of the United States. Sure. So, so I saw a technology recently that allows people to manipulate any video online. And so you could put your voice over, over a video and it'll look like it's coming from the president or whoever. Um, and uh, right now, if you look close enough, you can tell it's fake. It probably doesn't look fake at a thumbnail. But, you know, in a year or two, it's going to be perfect. Um, yeah, so there... What happens to news then? I don't know. I don't know what happens. We need to figure out a way to find those. They're called deep fakes. Right, deep fakes. Yeah, yeah, we need to find a way to, you know, maybe a software system that can uh, monitor or detect when deep I'm fakes. I'm sure we can trust Facebook to do that. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. But I, I, yeah, I'm definitely concerned about it. I'm concerned yeah. about it because. It, it's made conversations with people in my personal life very complicated. Uh, and it's not even with deep fakes, you know? Right. So I'll have family members who will bring up things like, did you know that Wi-Fi causes cancer? You gotta be careful. And it's, where did you read that? On Facebook. Okay. Not a legitimate source. <laughs> sure. And so, and I get, like, that's where I lose my patience and I gotta get better with staying calm and explaining to people that this is not real. But yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. And I've, you but know. It, but it's hard, right? I mean, I, you know, you see a video of somebody saying something, our brain tells us that that person's saying something. Yeah, right? and also, I mean, bad actors are using it to, yeah. like, 
put a woman, a public figure, onto pornographic material, pornographic right. videos. And that can completely destroy a woman's career prospects, 100%. And it makes me so angry because, A, we still live in this insane puritanical society that judges women who have worked in that industry. I don't think we should. And B, it, 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 it makes people judge you and it, it ruin, ruins your reputation. I yeah. mean, it's a form of defamation that we have absolutely no protection against. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy to see what's going to happen next. So I want to talk about culture, because that, that's kind of the lens that I look at. And so I'm fascinated with the connection between politics and culture. And um, you know, we think of, uh, you know, of hip-hop as a product and part of the Reagan era, you know, punk rock of Thatcherism, um, rock and roll of, of you know, post-war. Um, why isn't Trump giving us better music? That's a great question. That's what I'm most upset about. Yeah. I, I find myself listening to a lot of old stuff. Yeah. Like classic rock, a lot of disco music. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love disco. So yeah. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Like there's a lot of that going on in my household. Okay. And they just don't make music like that anymore. I like to dance. Um, all I want to do is have some fun. I love that song by Sheryl, uh, Sheryl Crow. So yeah, I don't really know what's going on with music these days. I, I feel bad because I went from listening to music during my commute to now listening to podcasts. Uh, and you gotta I worry stop that. that. I, well, here's the thing. I do worry because I don't want to get old fast, right? <laughs> like, I don't want to be completely disconnected from young people and people right. in my age group because I'm so obsessed with listening to political podcasts. Like, I need to be better about entertainment and, like, immersing myself. Into well, that. it's hard. There's so much, right? Yeah. And, and there's so much... We were talking about this before. There's so much good content that it's easy to just get trapped, right? Tell me about the good content you listen to or watch. Um, well, I'd like to ask some questions, too. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a huge audiobook listener. I listen in the car, on the bike, at the gym. Any chance I get, I listen to, I listen to books more than podcasts. Um, and there's just, you know, more... If I, if I started now, I would die of old age before I would run out of great books to listen to, right? And that's also true of everything else, of music, of podcasts, of TV shows, of movies, whatever, right? There's just... You know, it's a weird thing to say. There's too much great content for us to be able to process. And that's, uh, that, I don't, you know, it's easy to just celebrate how there's all this great content out there, but I think it also does something weird to our psyches a little bit, that there's no scarcity. And yeah, so definitely. I think we, and we need that. But, you know, I, I you know, is what I was saying before about music, like, I am looking for the... Um, you know, music as a socio-political outlet, and I'm not really seeing it. There are cer certain exceptions. Um, you know, there's Run the Jewels, and there's, you know, there are, but it, but that's few and far between. Yeah, definitely. I've seen some good work from uh, J. Cole that uh -huh. references uh, politics, and I love it. And it's it is interesting because I think right now 
politics happens to be so divisive that people try to avoid it. I'm seeing people avoiding it in, in entertainment quite a bit. Mm. Maybe because you don't want to antagonize or isolate yourself from a certain market because of your political views. I have no idea. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we do need a break from politics. I know I, I can use a break from politics, so well, maybe it's an escapism that, that people need. Maybe. I mean, my, my uninformed opinion uh, is that I, I think that shifted. I think it shifted to social media. I think you can, um, you don't have to go to the trouble of making a song to feel like you've expressed yourself, that you can spit it out on Twitter or on a YouTube video and it's easier and faster and you get clicks immediately and all of that, right? And so I worry a little bit about that, that just you know, music's ability to really move us socially has maybe just been usurped. Maybe, yeah. I mean, people are definitely opinionated on social media. We see that all the time. Sure. Yeah, especially on Twitter. So talk about that. What's the downside of being an internet star? Um, uh, star is a strong word. But. Well, you, look, you command a significant audience. Um, you know, you personally and, and TYT, certainly. Um, is there a downside to it being online as opposed to being on CBS? I think that one of the downsides early on was the immediate feedback. Because with television, you're kind of in a bubble and yeah. people can't get to you. And I think that there's a downside to that because you should be getting constructive feedback and you should be growing and learning uh, while you're doing your job. But I think that's changing now because everything's online. You might be a television network, but you post everything online. Sure. And I'm sure that those hosts uh, can't help themselves and they probably read comments here and there. And it's sometimes devastating and difficult to deal with. It's a fascinating study. and. In humanity, that yeah. online, online comments. There's a lot of man. There's a lot of anger yeah. in the world, right? There's a lot of like pent up yeah. tension and anger, and it's something that we need to really have a frank conversation about. Because I mean, who cares about my emotions and my feelings or some public figure's emotions and feelings? What I'm more curious about is what's happening to us on a cultural level that makes people so angry and vitriolic. And it could be economic pressure and frustration. I think sure. that that has a lot to do with it. I know that for me personally, it's been difficult to accept the fact that our generation is just dealing with a much more difficult economic climate and, and making it and, and being part of a, a solid middle class is it's really difficult. I mean, I think about where I would be financially uh, career-wise, if I had been born, you know, two generations prior, well, I'm a woman, so I guess it doesn't really apply to me. But if, if, my, if my dad, like my dad didn't really understand what, what, what it's like to be a millennial. Sure. And so he came to America with nothing, the classic immigrant story, same with my mom. And he first got a job as a welder and he made good money, but that company moved overseas, was outsourced, mm -hmm. and so he found himself doing handyman work. 
And through handyman work, he was able to save and buy apartment buildings in LA, in Hollywood. Yeah. And so when I was about to get married, he asked me, he's like, what's, what's going on with you? Because you've been working at this job full time and you're about to turn 30. Like, why do you not have a home yet? Yeah. And I was like, dad, and I felt like I had failed him. Like he looked at me and thought I wasn't succeeding enough and it felt really bad. And I tried to explain to him, dad, I, I know to you, like in your mind, because you used to make like $3 an hour and that was enough to live. Um, right. Believe it. But right now in LA, that's, the money I make is not enough to buy a home. Yeah. And he didn't realize it until he started to go look at properties with me and he was like, oh wow, okay, so this doesn't make sense. How did this happen? And what I love about my dad, I just want to quickly give him props. He has units that he's renting out for way less than market value. And I asked him, I'm like, why don't you rent them out for more? You can, way more. And he's like, nah, the people who rent for me are usually students or they're young and I don't want to do that to them. And it's, so it made me realize like where I get some of my personality from and it's definitely my dad, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. My mom's awesome too, but. Um, and and when I just read something yesterday about that that rent, you know, is a is a global problem. We think of it as LA and San Francisco, these crazy cities, um, and we may be kind of at the forefront of that. But that as more uh, people all over the world are moving to cities, mm-hmm. that you know this is this is a, a, an increasing issue. Definitely, uh, in in the United States, if you are working full-time, but you're making minimum wage, the federal minimum wage, there is literally no city, no place in America where you can rent a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. No place. So that is out of control. I mean, that statistic really blew my mind. And I knew that people who make minimum wage struggle, but the fact that you can't rent a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in America with a minimum wage uh, job, and you're working full time, you're not working part time, it's, it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. My, my best friend's father worked at a grocery store in the bakery section uh, for his entire working, you know, working life. And he retired, he had benefits, mm-hmm. he had a retirement, he had everything. And he had a comfortable retirement, and can you imagine that today? No. No. And I, I just think it's, I hate using the word unfair because unfair sounds like we're whining, right? But it's not whining. It's, hey, we want to work. We, we want to we wanna produce. We want to do amazing things. But we just want opportunities. We just want to have the same opportunities as generations before us. Sure. That's not going to happen. And then we get treated as if we're like looking for handouts. No one's looking for a handout. We're looking to work, but we're looking for proper pay for our work our time for our effort our energy so going back to that conversation with your dad um, I, I, I've, I've read something you saying that you uh, felt like a failure that at times you feel like a failure which I think we all do um, imposter syndrome is a, is a important trait of successful people um, but, but when do you feel that and when do you when do you not feel that 
Um, that's, that's probably the hardest question uh, anyone asks me. I feel yes. it every day. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay. Um, so on to other unpleasant topics. This is a fun podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a blast. Um, so I, do, I saw you speak at the UN uh, on a, um, it was female journalists, right? And uh, you talked about some of the personal uh, toll or risks that you've taken um, for your work. And, and we were talking earlier about comments. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned threats on your, on your life and on your, on your personal safety and people, crazy stuff happening to your parents and yeah. stuff like that. So, I mean, I've had a long history with bad experiences, people, you know, the, the threats online, like people threaten my life every day online. It's become, I, I'm worried that I'm a little too desensitized because I might miss uh, a threat that's serious where sure. someone's actually gonna carry something out. But there have been uh, some situations where I've been confronted face to face in a violent way. So in 2008 was the first time I experienced it. Mm. I said something that upset 4chan and they sent, uh, I was living with my parents at the time. I think I was like 22, 23. And they uh, sent an escort to my parents' home at like one in the morning. And my brother opened the door. My brother's like, uh, no one, no, no one called you. It, this is, and she got angry and yeah. kind of like violent with my brother. And we had to call the cops and 4chan found my address and they were sending escorts. They were ordering pizzas. And there was this one, this was like the worst part of all of it. There was this one uh, restaurant owner, you know, small hole in the wall Chinese restaurant. And they called and they ordered thousands of dollars worth of food. This guy shows oh up God. with thousands of dollars worth of food. And we had to tell him, this is a prank, I'm sorry. And I just, I felt horrible about yeah, it, sure. you know? Because innocent people are getting, you know, hurt by this group of jackasses. Yeah. But, and then I've, I've had a number of run-ins. There was another uh, experience where I don't know for sure if this guy recognized me. He didn't say anything about TYT, but I was filming a live video when I was hiking with my husband. And... It, he said something to me. I was wearing a TYT hat. He said something to me. I didn't really hear him. I didn't care. My husband heard it. And he's like, what did you say? And then they start kind of like going at it, like vocally, mm -hmm. verbally. And then I was like live streaming something. So I flipped the camera on him because I wanted him to realize, hey, I'm filming you. Maybe you need to relax. Like he was yeah. getting really loud and looked like he was about to throw punches or something. And so once he realized I was filming, he ran up to me, grabbed my phone, and pushed me to the ground. Oh and that God. was scary. I yeah, don't know why he was such an angry guy, or I don't know if he recognized me, but I've had like a number of run-ins. Alex Jones at the RNC, that's another example. Mm -hmm. And that, like in the moment when that whole Alex Jones thing happened, I, wasn't, I didn't feel threatened. It was more about what happened afterwards with all of his crazy fans coming after sure, me yeah, and yeah. threatening me and you know sharing my address everywhere, all of that stuff. Let's talk about fun things. <laughs> okay, I have a, a, a political idea to run by you. Um, why can't we get rich liberals 
to, to buy off corrupt preachers. Tell me more. Well, look, there's uh, millions of voters, uh, conservative voters, who are strongly influenced by the preachers at the churches they go to. We know that those preachers are corrupt. Um, so why can't we just pay them off? I mean, I don't like corruption at all. Like, Come I don't want to. I don't want to fight corruption. Idea. I don't want to fight corruption with corruption. I just want to get rid of corruption. All right. Um, so. Fine. There goes my next question. And I think when it comes to the religious right, you have to fight the culture with ideas and. I think we've done a pretty good job when it comes to some issues. I mean, we've seen a lot of progress when it comes to gay rights. Sure. And that wasn't through corruption. That was through pushing the culture in the right direction. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We got to do that for the transgender community because they have been completely left behind. Absolutely. Um, who've been your most important mentors? I'm not saying it because he's my boss, but Cenk Uger. Yeah. What do you, what do you learn from him? A lot. Uh, when I have the hard days, when I feel like I'm overworked, when I'm alone crying somewhere and I feel like I want to give up, I think about how much harder it is for him. Uh, he is running the entire business. He's still the CEO. He's still hosting the show with me every day, two hours. Wow. He's got kids. He's... A freaking machine and and even so even though he's super overwhelmed and he's got all this stuff on his plate I, he rarely if ever complains certainly doesn't complain as much as I do and when when I think to myself I'm overworked I'm burnt out my mind always thinks about how much harder it is for Jank, and I'm like I have no room to talk right now mm -hmm. and then more importantly when I do have those hard days he goes out of his way to Pull me aside and be like, hey, is everything all right? Like, do you need to talk about anything? Do you need to get anything off your chest? And just the fact that he cares enough to ask, it, it, that goes a long way. Absolutely. So he's, he's been a mentor. And I remember one of the things that he taught me early on was, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, you know your shit. This is early on when I wasn't confident about my opinions and my political analysis yet. He's like, you know your shit. He's like, just say it and say it aggressively. So he's like, say it with conviction. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. He's like, because if you, I would always do this thing where I would share my opinion and then I would end it with, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Uh -huh. And he's like, just stop saying I don't know. Sure. You do know. Yeah, you gotta own it. Yeah. yeah. So I know we talked about a lot of, uh, you know, you, you confront a lot of difficult shit and we're glad that you do. Um, Can I mention one other person? Absolutely. Um, I don't know if she's a mentor, but right now, one of the few people in politics that gets me going, keeps me inspired and motivated, is AOC. Yeah. And Ilhan Omar. You know, like all of these young women who are like so fearless and so strong. And recently there was a day where I just was not, I was moody on the show, and I'm like, none of this matters. I have those days where I'm like, none of this matters. Uh -huh. And we played a video of AOC fighting for something, something important. And while the video was playing, I got a little teary-eyed, and of course I got it together before we came back from video. But I thought to myself, 
if she can do it, I can do it, right? Yeah. Maybe not, I'm not doing it in politics, I'm doing it in news, but I gotta keep going. Yeah. So, um, when you look at the future, what are you most excited about? Uh, what am I most excited about? I wanna say I'm excited for 2020. I have, George Bush had this quote, and um, even though he was an idiot, he had a, <laughs> this was one yes. of my favorite quotes because it, it's actually true. Uh, the trick is to keep expectations low. Yes. <laughs> So um, I think what made, like, what led to such a huge reaction on election night was that I did not expect Trump to win, and so I think it's okay to expect the worst, but I'm going to fight for the best. And so, what am I looking forward to the most? I'm just looking forward to the day when we have a leader who knows what he's doing, who's who's not on a daily basis stoking tension dividing people, the, like, the anxiety I feel on a daily basis. Yeah. It's, I, I can't, like, it's, it's difficult. So I'm just looking forward to the day when I don't feel daily anxiety <laughs> over the news. Where that's, I, a, that's a low expectation. That's great. It's a pretty low expectation. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I have a quick lightning round um, before we all go upstairs and have drinks. So um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Portland, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Love Portland. Do you have a favorite DJ? Do I have a favorite? What about the, the uh, live, live show band that you've seen play live? The Foo Fighters. Yeah. That was the best show, show I've ever been to. Like, I, I, I loved it. He's a freaking beast. Animal. His leg was broken. Oh, he yeah. He had a broken leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he rocked it out. Like, it was amazing. Not rocked it out. He rocked out. <laughs> you can say, you can say rocked it out. Can we get a ruling on rocked it out? Okay. Okay, he rocked it out. What's the last great book you read? So right now I'm reading a pretty good book. Um, it, I'm not reading it. It's an audio book. Uh, but it's, that counts. Yeah, Brene Brown, uh, Dare oh, to Lead. She's awesome. It's very good, yeah. yeah love her. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Probably Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I love that movie. It's always good. Yeah, it's so much fun. We just watched yeah. it last year. It was great. Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. Marrying my husband. Uh, not to get too schmoopy, but... I don't know if I would be able to go through everything I go through with work without him by my side. He's so positive. He's so nice. You're so nice. Why are you so nice? <laughs> he's like the nicest person ever. When I first met him, I thought he was going to be a dick because he's so hot. <laughs> but uh, it turns out, like, you know, I'm the feisty one, and he's the one who really keeps me grounded. That's fantastic. Tell me a song that you know is bad, but you love it anyway. Oh, man. Uh, I'm, like, blanking that, that disco song about pull up to the bumper, baby. That's the name of the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace Jones. Yes, the Grace Jones. That's right. I love that song, and I'm I didn't realize it was I about... I don't think that's a bad song. <laughs> 
I mean, it's not a bad song. It's a great song, but I didn't really, like, as I was singing it at work, someone pointed out that it's about butt sex. And um, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. But I, I love it. I don't care. There's nothing wrong with butt sex. I mean, if that's your thing. Do, do you? If I worked for you. <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic answer, by the way. In your long back limousine. I love you. So if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? I'm sorry to interrupt you guys, but hey, Brett. <laughs> I'm always interrupting people in the middle of their conversations because I need something from them. So it's either can you, we need to grab this video or we need to make a graphic out of this. So... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's probably what you'll hear me say over and over again. I mean, that's fantastic. I, you know, people are uh, afraid to interrupt and, or ask what they need. And I've, I've, for 10 years, I've been telling people, just say sorry and then ask anyway. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we got, we got, we got to go. We got yeah. a show to do. And there's a deadline every day. So again, everyone I work with is great. And so it's hopefully not a problem. <laughs> That's awesome. Anna Kasparian, thank you for doing this with us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yo, that was Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you follow us everywhere. Send us reviews, send us some Bitcoin or whatever you got laying around. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.